Lord, everybody. Praise Amen. The Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord Amen. and feel the presence of the Lord. Yes. Yes. Wednesday night is just a, it's a sanctuary, you know. It's just too long sometimes between Sundays. I, I have said before that Wednesday night is like the Battle of Midway. And you need that little island in the middle of the ocean if you're going to make it. If you're going to make it all the way across, you're going to need that little island to get refueled in the middle of the ocean. I'm thankful for church, thankful for the presence of the Lord. It is good to be here, and uh, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to get too flowery about how much we're enjoying being here, lest my in-laws think I really like it, because <laughs> I have a little facade I need to keep up, but we are... We are grateful to be in Houston, and uh, it's like old home times in some ways for us. We've been gone a long time, but we still see a lot of familiar faces. That's, that's the beautiful thing about the family of God. There is a stability in living for God. And if we could ever get that in our skulls and in the skulls of our children, the importance of living for God, and the stability that he brings. What a, what a great thing. You know, I thought as um, time goes on and elders leave and you reflect back on elders' lives, those are not the things that are easily, those are not easily faked. Those, the fruit of a long life lived for the Lord is not something that the enemy can just cook up on a whim or on a moment's notice and be uh, deceitful and deceive many. But those are the things that come from long relationship with him. Now, you're wondering if I'm ever going to let you sit down, and I am. Before you're seated, would you turn with me, though, to Psalm 133? And we're continuing in our series tonight. Pastor asked if I would teach this next lesson in the series, talk a little bit about where it fits, but I, when we started talking about this, this was one, there were two passages that came to mind. The, the title of tonight is The Benefits of Belonging. The first thing I thought of was Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, and they are many. He healeth all thy diseases, but I better leave that one alone because I took you to Psalm 133, the benefits of belonging. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the beard that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon. And as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there, where there? There, the mountains of Zion, much like dwelling together in unity, there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about the benefits of belonging, being part of the family of God. One more time, would you... Just go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Ask him to have his way in our hearts and minds. 
in the next few minutes. Lord, we're grateful tonight. So thankful, Lord, for the many things that you have done for us and the ways that you have brought us together and you have made us one body. And I pray tonight that your will would be accomplished in the next few minutes, that our hearts would be stirred and we would be reminded, Lord, of the importance of unity and togetherness and being knit together as a whole. Lord, we are grateful for what you have done and we ask that you would bless our efforts and open our hearts and minds to really hear and allow your word to take root in us tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. One thing that is close to my heart is discipleship, and I am thankful to see the whole church participating. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can latch on to the notion that discipleship is training for new believers, and certainly there is a place for that. But the reality is that to be a disciple is to be a follower to be one who is learning from the master, to be an apprentice is another model that is used when we talk about disciples. You can uh, get that picture in your mind of an apprentice working with a master craftsman, and it's not all head knowledge. An apprentice doesn't just go to school. An apprentice finds his way into a shop, and he begins to work with his hands alongside the master, and he's learning as he goes. Now, if you sense and you feel that you have passed that apprentice stage when it comes to living like the Lord, then maybe you don't need discipleship anymore. But as for me, I am reminded regularly of the importance of continuing to learn and to be engaged, not just head knowledge, but Lord, you've got to show me how to do this your way. You've got you to help me, Lord, do this your way. And so It's very heartening to see this effort of discipleship across the entire uh, life of the congregation and all the ages and all the various age groups, and, and I'm very thankful for that. When I started looking at this topic, the benefits of belonging, it was just a few weeks ago, Pastor taught Welcome to the Family, and we talked about how living for God is part of being the family of God. But I think there is another aspect of this as well. It's more than just being when we embark on our walk for the Lord, when we are born again. It's more than just being part of some academic, spiritual connection in the heavenlies. But there must be a very practical, down-to-earth impact in our lives. Paul wrote extensively in the New Testament about the church, and he had, I think, for those verses, those things that he wrote, he had the clearest revelation of what God was intending to do in the church. But you look at the analogies that Paul used, and, you know, he didn't have the Internet to use, but he certainly didn't use anything like that where there was some invisible connection among all of these people you know what is what is the the biggest oxymoron of the day facebook friends is is that really do those do those two words really go together social media connections are they really 
connections? Is there really some sort of a connection there? The analogies that Paul used were all very tangible, very physical. In Ephesians, he talked about the bride of Christ. Um, In Ephesians 4, he talks about how we're all built together as a building. And he kind of waxes into that same sort of analogy in 1 Corinthians 12, and he seems to just shift back and forth between uh, a body, a physical body, and a building. And and, uh, he starts, he's talking about a body at one point, and then before you know it, he's talking about a building, but it's not a building like this. It is a building that is alive, and it's it's growing. But, But the point is... His, his explanation or his trying to help us to understand what it means to be in Christ, he used very tangible objects like bodies and buildings. And I think the reason for that is because that's the way we are made. We are made to be connected together. We're not made to be isolated. And in fact... If you didn't believe that, 2020 probably taught you that. It revealed it to us. It showed us in ways we may have understood academically, but we now understand very practically the impact of what it means to be isolated and separated. And those that, <clears throat> that counsel people and help people that are troubled, those that I have talked to have said, it's like nothing we've ever seen because there is so much upheaval and there's so much that's brought to bear whenever people are isolated. Part of it is that when we are isolated like that, we are separated from our normal means of getting help and of getting healing. But the point is that we are not cut out to be that way. We are not cut out to be isolated. Divide and conquer is a technique of the enemy. That's not the Lord's idea. The Lord said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples. If you run off to the four corners and separate yourself, no. If you have love one for another. It is the enemy that tries to separate and to divide and to keep things separate. I did a little little word search. It's not real complicated. Just looked for God said. That occurs a whole bunch of times. But in Genesis 1, it occurs about 10 times. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be fowls of the air, fish of the sea. There's 10 of them in Genesis chapter 1. And, of course, you know the story of creation. He gets down to man. He forms man from the dust of the earth. And all the others, he saw that it was good, and he got to man. He didn't say that. He blessed man. He said, be fruitful and multiply, and then he stepped back and he saw all that he had made, and he said, that's all good. But the first thing he says in Genesis chapter 2, there's 10 things in Genesis 1, but in Genesis 2, the first thing he says is, it's not good that man should be alone. Now, every wife knows that. If you've ever left the kids at home, There is no limit to the shenanigans that unfold. But there's a bigger picture. God is actually making a statement, I think, about the way that man was created. Created in the image of God, and man says, it is not good that man should be alone. Little speculation, I guess, on my part. 
God had created the heavens. He had angels in heaven. But everything that he created, there was nothing that he could truly have fellowship with. So maybe when God looks at man and says, it's not good for man to be alone. I know God has no weakness and there's no diminishing or anything in God, but maybe, just maybe, God looked at man and said, I know what it's like to be alone. And it's not good for man to be alone. I think this is what makes Hebrews 12 kind of jump off the page at me. Because following Hebrews 11 and that roll call of faith, at the beginning of chapter 12, he says, this great cloud of witnesses spurs us on. And he talks about Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He never contemplated the cross for the angels that fell. He never contemplated Calvary for anything else in creation. But for man, there was a joy that was beyond the cross that he could see. What was that joy? It was fellowship with you and me. That fellowship was broken in the garden. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him, you can just read that. Next time you read that, you just point at that and say, devil, that's me. I was the joy that was set before him. Fellowship with me, that was the joy that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross. He looked at Adam and said, it's not good that man should be alone. And it just really speaks to the fact that we are made to be connected. You know that in the Geneva Convention, that international law that governs the way that warfare, of all things, is done, you realize it is a war crime for people to be held in solitary confinement more than a certain number of days. Because there is something about us, we have to be connected. And when we are separated, when we are isolated, we start to, we start to fall apart. We start to break down. It does not work. Now, you know, there are lots of theologians in the world. Somebody said we're all theologians, and I suppose that's true. We may not realize it, and we don't write down our thoughts, but the way we live our lives kind of tells what we believe about God and what we think deserves worship. And so there's a pretty well-known theologian, Tom T. Hall. Some of you may remember. I think he got it wrong. Because he said, me and Jesus, we got our own thing going on. I don't think that's in the book. He said, me and Jesus, we got it all worked out. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you're my disciples, you will love one another. You will be connected. You're going to be part of what I'm doing in the earth. This is really the beautiful thing about the book of Ephesians is that Paul is revealing what God is doing in the church and what he has done in his body. The whole point of this lesson tonight, these benefits of belonging, is in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes and says, you have been by one spirit baptized into one body. That means we're connected. 
And there is no intention in God that we get saved and then that we go live in some isolated, far-off place um, in a cloister or separated. Um, Jesus would never... That's not the model of Christianity. And in fact, if you read through the New Testament, that's what you will find is that that is never the, that is never the model. It's always about fellowship. And in fact, that word doesn't appear very often in Scripture until you get to Paul's writing. Now, there is one place in Acts chapter 2. We're all familiar with verse 38. And verse 39, the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then verse 40, with many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Um, that might be our motto. That, that might be 2021's motto, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Um, verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized. Remember, Paul would say later, he would explain when we are baptized, we are put into the body. We are connected. And the church is called the body of Christ. And he uses that analogy. Christ is the head and all the parts are connected. It's not that there is one thing at the top and we each have our own individual connection, but we are connected to each other just as all of your body parts are connected together and they ultimately connect to your head, to your brain. And if you don't think they are all connected together, just find that coffee table in the middle of the night with your pinky toe <clears throat> and it hurts all over. He said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. It's scriptural, folks. We ought to get together. It's not just doctrine, but there is something that is a necessity in the way that we are made and created. We must be connected together. We've got to be together. Now, you know this is true because nobody ever stays home from church and just stays home. I mean, if people start staying out of church, now I'm not talking about COVID and all of that. I'm just talking about... If people start staying out of church, they don't just stay home. I mean, just drive up the freeway. The restaurants are full. People got food at the grocery store. They got food at home. Why they go? There's something about getting together. There's restaurants. There's bars. There's ball games. There's there's all kinds of connections. We have a tendency to congregate because there is something that is innate in us that desires that connection. And that part of us must be fed. This is one of the benefits of belonging, is that not only is there forgiveness for sins, not only is there salvation, but there is a connection of people with like precious faith that are joined together, that strengthen each other, that lift each other, that bring exactly what it is that we need for the time in which we live. How many times have you been going through a struggle and somebody call, somebody text, somebody drop something by, somebody uh, did this, somebody sees you in the grocery store, they said, I was thinking about you yesterday, I've been praying for you. There is an encouragement and a connection that comes from being part of the body of Christ. And it's not just this 
spiritual, academic, theoretical thing out there. It's important to be part of a local congregation where we come together and we connect. I think we probably all have gained a new appreciation for this and the ability to do this and gather together. And I hope we hope we never lose it. If, if we have to go through a season again, who knows what the future holds. If, if we have to go through a season again when we're, when we're separated, I, I hope it grieves us and that there's nothing that we look forward to like getting back together again with the people of God because as the psalmist said, how good and pleasant it is. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That passage, Psalm 133, it's part of what's called the Songs of Ascent. If you read in your Bible, you may see a heading underneath that says a song of degrees. Psalms 120 through 134 are typically called the Songs of Ascent. And what they think, there's different, different opinions about this, but, but one of the prominent theories is that, of course, as you know, during the history of Israel, there was a time when they were separated, they were dispersed. And uh, as they would uh, come to worship in Jerusalem, there were three main feasts during the year. And as they would come to worship, they would make pilgrimages back to Jerusalem. And as they got close to Jerusalem, wherever they were coming from, as they would get close, they would begin to sing these psalms. And they would start with 120, and as they got closer and closer, they would sing these psalms. So 133 is the next to the last one. 134, behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord. This is when they get there, right? But just before they get there, there is this celebration of the joy of being together in unity. And this psalm, there are a couple of these in this range, these songs of degrees or songs of ascent that are ascribed to David. This is one of them that's given to David. By the way, not all of the psalms were written by David. And 133, though, is one that is ascribed to David. And the psalmist said, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I thought about that. You know, as an adult, um, hadn't been one very long, but it's it's growing on me. As an adult, you realize there are a lot of things in life that are good, just aren't pleasant. There's a lot of things you're supposed to do and you should do and you need to eat, and those are the things that are not pleasant. And all the other stuff that is pleasant, somebody said, I got a foolproof diet plan, right? If it tastes good, spit it out. And, but the psalmist says, how good and pleasant. What's not to like? How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Together. We've been off doing our own thing in the other parts of the countryside, but it's time to come together. It's time to celebrate. It's time to worship. And how good and pleasant that is for us. And notice what, <coughs> notice what the psalmist says. It is like the precious ointment upon the beard. He associated it with the anointing of Aaron in the Old Testament. He said when we come together, when we are in unity, it's like the anointing oil that flows downward. Now this is not 
I suppose, the focus of tonight. But if we want to have revival, we want the anointing to fall, and we want the Spirit of the Lord to rain down and to cover all the way from the beard to the skirts of the garments. Notice the anointing flows down. But the psalmist said that happens when brethren dwell together in unity. This is why Paul said, let there be no divisions among you. Don't, don't allow those things to separate. That is a, a trick, a tool of the enemy to divide and to conquer. Let there be no divisions among you, but if we can get together in unity, if we can be unified in our hearts and in our minds, it provides a channel through which the Lord can pour out the anointing oil and, and the Holy Ghost can flow. It comes down from heaven. But it's gated by the unity that we find among ourselves. He says it's like that precious ointment that ran down the beard. You know, when we anoint with oil, we, we're pretty sophisticated and refined. We take a little bit on our fingertips and we anoint. But in the Old Testament, when they were going to anoint for an office for a priestly office or for a king, it wasn't just a little dabble, do you? You take the, the horn of oil and you pour it out and the oil flows down. And the psalmist said it went down his beard all the way to the skirts of his garments. And that's what it's like whenever we dwell together in unity. It's like being baptized in the oil. It's like being baptized in the spirit amen and that is the unity that we have together he says it's like the dew of Hermon the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commanded the blessing when we come together that's where the Lord commands the blessing when we are come together in unity not when we're spread out all over creation not whenever our minds are scattered but when we come in, just like the day of Pentecost, they were in one place, one accord. And that was what brought the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It was God's time, and they were prepared for it in the way that they were together. Now, I'm, you know, I'm one of those persons who, to a certain degree, I didn't mind so much uh, a little bit of quarantine, kept me out of airplanes and I didn't have to travel and I could just go sit in my office and work and tell people they need to leave me alone because I got work to do. And, and so I, I have to be completely transparent tonight and say there was part of my personality that that really didn't rub the wrong way. I was okay with that. And I was just thinking the other night, it's been, it's been 15 months at least since I've been on an airplane. And, you know, I have not lost a moment's sleep over that. I'm pretty grateful for that actually I know that I'm blessed sometimes folks have to travel for jobs and for ministry and all of those kinds of things I'm blessed enough that I can actually it's a good excuse to sit still and do all the work from one place so it has worked out well for me but I will tell you this one thing I observed in myself and in my own family is that as we were isolated and as we were separated and we could not come together as 
a church and there was an element then in our lives that was missing and there was a part of that that was missing. Oh, we were we were doing the online thing. We were watching and I that's another I guess confession's good for the soul. I can I can watch those sermons all that start on Sunday morning, man. I get way out on the East Coast and just let them come across the whole countryside, you know, just catching them one after the other. I, I've got them lined up in every time zone. I know who to watch and and all of that. But it's not the same. It's not the same as saying, "Oh, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity." I'm going to tell you. There are benefits to belonging. There are, there are benefits to being part of the household of faith, being part of the family of God. And there is a value in being connected and close together, close to each other. Now, it's not always, it's not always easy because the wise man wrote in Proverbs, he said, iron sharpeneth iron. So one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Well, how does iron sharpen iron? By striking and the sparks flying. So sometimes there is some, there is some interaction and there is some sparks, but you know what? Done indecently and in order and in, in the love and the fear of God, the, the wise man said this is actually a good thing. People can interact and they can improve each other and they can, that connection becomes beneficial to both parties. And, but, but that doesn't happen remotely. It doesn't happen when we're dispersed and separated. The iron has to come together. And as we were looking through various scriptures and verses, started thinking about what are some of the benefits of uh, the house of God and coming together. And, you know, I'm... Romans chapter 10 and um, Hebrews chapter 4. I'm just a believer in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Hebrews 4, the Word of God is quick, it's alive. That's a King James word, just means it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And yes, you need to be in your Bible at home, you need to be in your Bible regularly, you need to be reading, you need to have your own devotion time. But there is nothing like hearing an anointed word of God from a man who has been called to pastor the flock, who will speak from his heart what God has laid on his heart. And, and there is an encouragement that comes from that. And that connection, it just, it just seems like we have to come together for that to happen. That's another word search that's interesting. Just search for come together and find out where you find that in the New Testament because the further you get in the New Testament, the more often that phrase refers to believers coming together and being joined together. And in fact, the very word that gets translated church is a Greek word, ekklesia, that really means the congregation of the called out ones. But notice the important thing, we emphasize the called out ones a lot of times. Oh, that's great. We're called out of the world. Notice, though, it means the congregation, the gathering up of those that have been called out. This is part of the value of the church. In Hebrews chapter 10, you knew I was going to go there eventually. Hebrews chapter 10 makes this very plain because he talks about forsaking 
the gathering of ourselves together and, and that there is such a manner among, um, among folks and that we should avoid that. But there is, a, there is a context there that I think that is valuable and beneficial. Notice what he says. <clears throat> he says in verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Let us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Let us consider one another, provoking one another to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. What is he saying? He's saying if we want to encourage each other and we want to provoke each other to do better, to live right, to spit white, as they used to say, if we want to really encourage that, part of that is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And so much more as you see the day approaching, he says. But exhorting one another, encouraging one another. There is an encouragement that comes from being in the presence of the Lord together. I think we've probably all experienced this. And maybe Wednesday night is the time it happens the most. You come in, maybe physically tired, um, emotionally. It's been a long day. It's been a long week already. We're not even, uh, we're about 60% of the way done, right? And uh, we come in here on Wednesday night, but somebody is encouraged. And the worship starts to go, and people start worshiping. And we are doing our part. We're doing our best. Five, seven minutes in, we start to notice, hey, that load doesn't feel quite so heavy anymore because there is a connection that is made among us. And when we begin to enter into worship together, the saying in the world is a rising tide lifts all the boats. So all you've got to do is be in the water. When the tide comes in, just be in the water. The tide will raise the boat. When we come together, when we meet together, there is an encouragement, an inherent encouragement that comes from just being together because that's the way we were made. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We get direction. We get guidance. We get healing. What did James say? If there's any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint with oil. That requires a certain proximity. That, that doesn't happen remotely. And, and for you to have elders that you can call is a, a testimony of the fact that you are part of a congregation, that you have made that contribution, that you have been connected in those ways. And there is value there. There is so much encouragement but there's also a place of service that we find together. You know, maybe this is um, maybe this is counter to the prevailing attitude of our day. I don't know, but I think I think we all have had that experience that there is a satisfaction in working, and we all dream about being, you know retired with nothing to do or perpetually on vacation. But I mean, vacation is not real life. Nobody can, well, I can't afford that all the time, right? So, but there is, there is also, I've, I've watched people, I've watched people retire and then it's a few months they're saying, man, I need something to do. I need to go back to work. And I'm looking at some people, but there's, 
there is something, there is a satisfaction that comes from working, from exerting yourself, making an effort, and accomplishing something. I think this is also the way that God made us. He created us for that kind of a purpose. And it's really no different in the house of God. And when Paul starts talking about the body of Christ, he says the body has many members. It's interesting to me. 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the body, and he starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We focus on gifts of the Spirit. Speaking with tongues, interpretation of tongues, so on and so forth. We need solid teaching on that. But notice notice the context. The context of all of this is that we have been baptized by one Spirit. Whatever your gifting, whatever your strength is, whatever God has called you to do, there was one Spirit that put us all in the same body. And just as the members of your body, your hands, your feet, your arms, your legs, your eyes, ears, your innards, as as unique as all of those parts are, they're still all connected and they're part of this one body. And Paul says, you've been baptized by one spirit into one body. And he talks about the gifts of the spirit. Then 13, he talks about love. Because if you've got the gifts where there is no love, you're going to have trouble. And then he finishes it talking in 14 about the gifts of the Spirit again. But it's all in the context of the operation within the body. It's all in operation with being connected to each other. And I had this thought a few years ago. I know we apostolics, we have some pretty strong opinions about the blood. We associate the blood of Jesus with the... Passover in the Old Testament and with our salvation experience when we are baptized it's like that Passover experience where the lamb was slain for us and protects us and and, uh, we're baptized Paul said in chapter 6 of Romans we're baptized into his death and so we we have this understanding of the blood as it relates to salvation but Jesus when he talked to his disciples about communion He didn't indicate that this was going to be a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Like when you repent and you're born again, you're baptized, that's really, there's not much scriptural evidence that you ever need to be baptized in Jesus' name again. That's done. You did that. You can be refreshed and you can be renewed and and there's um, a lot of different things that, that happen in our walk with God as we go along. But that salvation, initial salvation experience is a unique experience in our lives. But that's not what he said about communion. He said, as often as you do this, there is an ongoing benefit from being connected. And he said, you know, he ran everybody off in John chapter 6 when he said, if, if you want to hang around, he fed the 5,000 in chapter 5, and then they kept coming around, and he said, well, if you're going to stay around, it's not going to be the loaves and fishes. You're going to have to eat me. You're going to have to eat of this body. They had no idea what that meant. That ran them all off. And to those disciples, he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This bread is my body. This cup is my blood. As often as you do this, with a 
the body was broken for you and brings healing, and then the blood, there's a spiritual benefit from that. So I started thinking about this. You know, when it comes to that communion and the ongoing benefit, the ongoing benefit of the blood in our lives, in our own bodies, the benefits of our blood only happen whenever my finger is connected to the rest of the body. If I'm disconnected, the flow of the blood is cut off, and that finger will die. And it's only a matter of time and not very long until it is irrecoverably gone. Why? Because it has been disconnected from the body. And this is the precise image that Paul is using, saying we're all baptized into one body. We're connected, and the ongoing effective work of the blood in our lives is going to happen because we remain connected. So there's so many of these, so many benefits. I started... Uh, realizing um, every place that you read and get in the Thessalonians and various places at the end, there's always this assumption that the people are together, that there is a benefit from people being together. They're going to gather together. And uh, Peter writes in uh, chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. It's not talking about covering them up, but it is that if we have love one for another, and if there is this connection, if there is this intimacy, this koinonia fellowship with each other, that fervent charity will, it's okay, it smooths things over and provides a redemptive experience for people. Um, but you know, one of the, one of the greatest benefits one of the best benefits of the church is the fact that there is a shepherd who has been given oversight. And a lot, many of these gifts and benefits, these benefits of belonging, flow through the pastor. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that we ought to pray for those who must give account for our souls. There is a there is a spiritual authority and a hierarchy that is in place. And it is important that we take that seriously and that authority is, becomes a part of, um, of our way of thinking. And this, again, is counter to much that goes on in our culture because we don't like to talk about uh, we don't like to talk about community things. We don't like to talk about what we owe. We don't like to talk about accountability and authority. But these are actually valuable benefits to being part of the church of the living God. What did Pastor talk about last week when he was talking about the Word? He talked First Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Second Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And there were four things profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Those things are what we get when we come together and we hear the word of the Lord together. These things protect us and they guide us. And this is not contradictory to what he said at all last week, but I I kind of have this view in my mind that the word of God is like driving on a road or it's across a bridge and it's profitable for doctrine. It lays out where the yellow line is, where the white line is. You're supposed to stay between those. And if you 
get outside that, the word has some guardrails that will reprove you. They will let you know when you're out of line. You'll slam your husband's car into a curb and cause the wheel to break, but we won't talk about any of that. There is a way in which when you violate the word of the Lord, it has a way of reproving you, letting you know you broke a rule. And it also has a correcting effect. It points you back. Get back in the road. Get back on the right path. And from there, there is an instruction in righteousness. How do we go from here? How do we stay right from here? These are the benefits that we glean from the word of the Lord, but they come from this pastoral ministry that the Lord set over his church and uh, the importance of pastors in our lives. In Jeremiah, the Lord said, I will give you pastors or shepherds after my own heart. The Lord said, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. Well, if you read 1 Peter chapter 5, this is one of the great benefits of belonging. The elders which are among you, Peter says, I exhort, I'm also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Verse 2, feed the flock of God. We're the flock. And the elder has been instructed to feed the flock. There's a benefit from belonging. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint. Nobody has held his arm behind his back and forced him to do what he's doing. But willingly, and not for filthy lucre or not for a lot of money. And he'd probably be the first to testify he didn't do it for the money. But of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. This is the advantage of having elders and shepherds and pastors in our lives. And notice that when the good shepherd shall appear, the elders will receive a reward of glory that fades not away. And notice what Peter says. This is the, this is the essence of connection. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. There is this thing about submission, and everybody wants to kind of, it seems like everybody wants to exercise their authority. And maybe young people have this idea, and when they get married, you know, they're going to have kids, and when they get home, the kids are going to rush to their side and uh, unlace their shoes and get their slippers and slap them on and bring them uh, either the afternoon paper or the iPad, whichever, and check to see if the glass of iced tea is full and if you have everything. And there'll just be little minions that just running around seeing to your every need. Now, don't get me wrong. Children are supposed to be submitted to their parents. But let me ask you something. When that little darling is running a fever at 2 o'clock in the morning and they're throwing up and they, got, they fill their bed and you've got to do a load of sheets in the middle of the night, who's submitted to whom? Because there is, there is a mutual submission and a beauty of service that happens whenever we are connected and we are submitted to each other. What that, part of what that means is we are submitted to the needs of each other. If you have a need and I can meet it, there needs to be something in me that compels me to meet your need. 
This is why the psalmist would say in another place, I have been young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Why? Because we take care of each other, because there is a connection there. But there is this submission to each other, but also there is a submission to the spiritual authority that God has placed in our lives. In verse 6 of 1 Peter 5, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, everybody likes to quote verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. But let's not forget the context. What enables us to cast our cares upon the Lord is that we are part of a connected body. We are submitted to authority, and we are submitted to each other, and we glean those benefits from that relationship. Why don't we stand together tonight? I don't ever want to forget or to take for granted the value of being part of a local congregation. There is spiritual benefit being baptized into the universal spiritual body of Christ. Yes, that is beneficial, and that benefit will ring throughout eternity. But there are very practical benefits that will get us from here to eternity by being part of a local congregation, a local body of believers, the body of Christ that we can see with our eyes. A lot of people like to talk about the invisible spiritual body, but there is benefit to the visible, physical body of Christ being connected. It's the way God made us. It's what he intended for his church. Can you say amen? Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer together, ask him to bind us together like never before. Lord, we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful for the strength that you put into your church by the power of your spirit and by baptizing us into one body, by connecting us together, by knitting us together in love. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen those cords that connect us, strengthen the things that hold us together, strengthen, Lord, the cords that bind us and tie us and hold us, <coughs> strengthen us and keep us. So thankful, Lord, for what you have done. And God, I pray that whatever comes our way, whatever the future holds, Lord, let us hold this bond precious that we are together with like precious believers holding the faith in strength and in honor and believing in what you're doing and allowing your spirit to work through us. How good and pleasant it is, Lord, when we are together, we're knit together in unity. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our hearts. Never let us forget the importance of our brothers and our sisters. Lord, not that we would shut up the compassion that is within us, but that we would see needs and be compelled to meet them. We would fulfill your word that the world would know us. They would know that we are your disciples because they see the love that we have for each other. We ask these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. We are dismissed. All right. Lord bless you. We will see you on Sunday. Amen.